If you haven't already heard, Bonzo Escape Tripodil, News Corp, Safari, and Sabbatical Travel have completed the all-star lineup for the returning Mumbrella Travel Marketing Summit on 17th of August. Check out the full program and grab your tickets at mumbrella.com.au forward slash travel. Shock and disbelief in the land of sports yesterday when the Victorian government announced its surprise decision to drop the 2026 Commonwealth Games, citing the game's intense pressure on budget. How did brands, marketers and other state governments respond so far? Let's unpack the announcement's aftermath in the last 24 hours. Meanwhile, the highly anticipated FIFA Women's World Cup will kick off tomorrow as Australia's Matildas goes against Ireland in the first game. All this before a chat with Fear and Grace co-founders and presenter Michael Thompson and Sean Aoma. Welcome to Mumbrella Cast live from Mumbrella 360 today. I'm Darcy Song and joining me today is Mumbrella's editor, Shannon Malloy. How are you, Shannon? I am great and I know you can't hear it because we're in a very quiet room, but the atmosphere here at 360 is electric. I have never seen anything like it. Yeah, definitely. What do you think of the session so far, Shannon? Amazing. Uh, I was just in one with uh, Hugh Marks, the former CEO of Channel 9, and Carl Fennessy, who is a legend in the Australian television Uh, industry, of course, founded Shine Australia and then uh, oversaw its merger with Endemol. Two of them are together responsible for some of the most iconic moments in uh, the content space. And they've now formed a new company uh, together. And uh, I had a chat with them about what that all means, as well as the fragmentation of the uh, sort of content space in Australia. So it was a really great chat. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to be honest, looking at the agenda, I just feel like if there is a way for me to just split into four and be at the four <laughs> places at the same time. But, you and me both. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, let's um, dive into our first topic of the day. Yesterday, Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews announced the shock decision to dump the state's hosting commitment for the 2026 Commonwealth Games. The move is set to be caused by a cost blowout from the initial estimate of $2.6 billion to almost triple that number. At this stage, the games are in a real pickle because it looks like none of the other state premiers are really keen to take things over right now. But, you know, Shannon, if we're just speculating and thinking about it, who do you think was most likely to take over if some something was bound to happen in other states? Well, I thought when this story broke, first of all, I was completely uh, dumbfounded. It was barely a year ago that Victoria committed to the Games. It's barely a year ago that they costed it at $2.6 billion. Now, 12 months later, it's said to be 6 to $7 billion. I mean, was PwC consulting on the budget for that? I, it's absolutely staggering. Regardless, I I thought initially that one of the other states would come out and uh, take this opportunity to host a global event that brings a lot of people to Australia. Uh, and New South Wales were keen last year when Victoria was uh, was bidding. Uh, Dominic Perrottet, the then Premier, thought that it would be a great opportunity for, for Sydney to take the Games, given the incredible sporting infrastructure that the city has, uh, its, its accommodation options, uh, some sort of legacy infrastructure from the 2000 uh, Olympic Games, and, uh, of course, the transport network ready to go. The new Premier, uh, not so keen, ruled out pretty quickly that New South Wales will not take the Games. Uh, I thought Queensland could also uh, step up. They had the Commonwealth Games 
gosh, with that COVID fog, uh, it was either a few years ago or several years ago, but on the Gold Coast. Who knows? Uh, And so they have infrastructure ready to go. They also declined. No one wants it. To be to be fair, no no state or territory has stood up to say that they'll take it uh, from Victoria. It's too expensive, and in the midst of a cost of living crisis, is probably politically stinky. Um, but also, it's not the huge drawcard event that it once was, uh, and it's so much so that when Victoria went for it, they went for it alone. No one in the Commonwealth group of countries uh, put up their hand. To host it. Uh, No one so far, it's only been 24 hours, but no one in the world uh, has stepped in again to to say that they want it. So the future of this event is in doubt. Yeah, definitely. And after I think the state elaborated where it was going to use that money, you know, because it said it was going to use on social housing and potentially other areas that probably needs money more desperately than the Commonwealth game. I think everyone sort of just went, oh, Fair enough decision, you know? Yeah. But I also feel like if any other state was going to take over, it, it would have been New South Wales, you know, just stick a few more trains to the Olympic car parks and yeah. we'll be good to go. <laughs> um, very coincidentally, um, I was also at the Women's Sports Summit yesterday at the Gold Coast, um, courtesy of KO. Thank you for flying me up. And um, the Queensland Premier, Anastasia Palaszczuk, alongside the Federal Minister of Sports, Annika Wells, and the director at the Victorian Office for Women's Sport and Recreation, Sarah Styles, were also there. And um, Pelashi said, well, they're not going to take over that because they are focused on the Olympics. And, you know, the, the moderator on the panel asked, well, how are you going to ensure that the same thing wasn't going to happen to the Olympics? And she said, oh, we had 85 of the structures built and they were going to use a lot of that existing structure, which I think is... A, Another thing that people are quite confused about Victoria's decision to host the Commonwealth game in regional Victoria, I think people know where it's coming from. It probably wants to, you know, bring in more development for the regional areas, but that I think that's definitely a big factor in terms of why the budget ended up being yeah. so costly. Yeah, and some the coverage this morning, uh, you know, in the major newspapers looking at the fallout of this decision Sort of, you know, there's some cynics that say this was just an election uh, ploy from Daniel Andrews. He never intended to host the games. Uh, some of the proposals that they put forward for, you know, building an Olympic pool in some random uh, country town was kind of absurd. And, you know, a cycling velodrome that they were going to tear down after 12 days. It's all just a bit murky and a bit weird. Um, I, I, I think in terms of what this all means, uh, the public are, are broadly in support of this. Uh, you know, they think that spending six to seven billion dollars on a two-week event is crazy, and it is, particularly in this climate. But there are costs that many people will bear for this. Uh, it's it's devastating for agencies that were in advance talks with brands about partnerships and sponsorship deals. It's devastating for marketers that were, you know, well advanced in in talks for. Everything from, you know, endorsements from athletes to, uh, you know, getting names on stadiums. Uh, there were whole teams set up to start looking at plans for the opening and closing ceremonies. Uh, all of those people now are not needed. So there will inevitably be job losses. There's a lot of revenue that agencies were no doubt counting on that will disappear. But the thing that I think no one kind of appreciates or has spoken about is what this means for the athletes themselves. 
when there's a Commonwealth Games, when there's an Olympics, athletes, major athletes get sponsorship deals and that money funds their training and their future competition outside of these four-year events. That's suddenly gone away for Australian athletes and many of them will either have to bear the cost themselves or not do it. And so what this means for, for them and their personal achievements is potentially significant. So great great for the coffers of the Victorian government, great for Victorians who want that money spent elsewhere, but not great for, for businesses uh, and, and professional athletes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it might have been just a very surprising decision for us, you know, looking from the outset, but I can't imagine how disappointing it could be for athletes who are training for you know, years for this moment and now it's not going to happen. I, I sort of wanted to touch on another question, which is that, you know, do you think after this decision, Victorian could have got a bad name in the event organizing world? You know, should businesses and organizations be concerned about hosting large yeah, events in the state? I, I think so, for sure. I mean, if you're, if you're an organizer of a major international event, if you're a brand that spends a lot of money on sponsorship, I I might be nervous about any any business in Victoria. For for a, a government to three years out of a multi multi billion dollar event pull the pin uh, suddenly without any consultation with their partners, I'd be concerned. Uh, and so I think there's there's much more fallout to come from this. Well, we'll definitely keep monitoring how the situation develops in the marketing and advertising world as well. And now onto our next topic, which is also in the sports world. The much-anticipated Women's World Cup is going to happen this Thursday with the first game between Australia and Ireland happening in the Stadium Australia here in Sydney. Shannon, are you going to see any games in the Women's World Cup? I was invited to go on Thursday, actually, and oh, I was wow. super keen, but uh, I've committed to a dinner party, which is not not nearly <laughs> as exciting, but there's just as much at stake because I can't cook. Uh, so, no, I'm not going uh, to that first game. I'd love to get along to others. If any of the broadcasters are listening and want to throw me a free ticket, please do. Um, but I'm totally caught up in the excitement of this event. Uh, if you... Uh, walking around Sydney at the moment, the city is is draped in uh, branding for the FIFA Women's World Cup. It's draped in support for the Matildas. Go the Matildas, uh, and and of course television and radio as well. There's so much so much going on from a brand activation perspective. Yeah, uh, can you tell us a bit more about what we have seen so far? I mean, I know there was a parade on the Sydney Harbour Bridge yeah. at one stage. What else have we seen? There's so much. There's down at uh, Darling Harbour at the moment, McDonald's has a really cool activation that they're calling a fry through. So not a not quite a drive through, but you can walk through and get free fries uh, as part of their sponsorship. Uh, there's I was driving driving in here actually, and as, just as you come off the Harbour Bridge from North Sydney, one of the skyscrapers there is draped in this incredible banner uh, as part of an Adidas activation for the Women's World Cup. Uh, it's not not just a billboard. It's not just wrapping. It's this kind of really cool uh, metallic thing that you just can't can't miss. Um, there's some great ads. There was a new one overnight from Cadbury. Uh, there's been some fantastic ones from Commonwealth Bank. Uh, I'm going to forget a few now, but but the theme of them all is this really kind of heartwarming, inspiring. You know, you can do it, and tapping into 
I guess the challenges that female athletes face in getting the same level of recognition as men's sport, but often also the same pay. Uh, and they really kind of have to fight against the odds to reach the, the pinnacle of sporting prowess. Uh, and that, I think, is what the FIFA Women's World Cup celebrates. Uh, that's what all of the brand activations around it celebrate. Uh, I can't wait to see it. And there's plenty more to come. I think it runs for like a month or something, right? Yeah, I'm um I'm not sure how long it runs, but yeah, I think some, a month ish. Some, yeah, some <laughs> something to that. I'm I've been trying to get tickets, but everything is sold out. So let's <laughs> let's get some freebies. I've Darcy. chosen to not look at it to avoid the <laughs> to avoid the heartbreak. And uh, <laughs> now you wrote a piece uh, yesterday that I loved, looking at kind of the broadcast side of things. Give us uh, if you haven't read the story and you simply must uh, umbrella.com.au, You'll find it there from Darcy. Uh, tell us tell us a bit about your story. So very interestingly, we had a chat with um, Optus Sport, who's the official broadcast partner of the event. And um, there is sub-licensee seven who will air 15 games, including all those of the Matildas. And I think the general consensus is that everyone is really keen, but there is just like such a limited ad inventory. So they are sold out from what I hear months ago, which I think really goes to show how keen everyone What's about the you know brand platform, and one thing that um Clive Dickens, the uh, the VP of Television at Optus, also mentioned is that he recognized the platform as being something quite inspirational for brands mm. as well, and that's why they want to be associated with it because that's easily you know something positive that could spin for your brand in the public eyes. I mean Optus itself also has some interest. I mean, it's it's the broadcast partner, but Optus also coming in from a brand perspective and they wanted to sort of reshape their own image that's, you know, fairly fair to say quite damaged <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> after the cyber attack even last year. But yeah, I think it's definitely lovely to see how interested advertisers are in women's sports. And, you know, I, I would, and of course, we'd also talk to Football Australia for the piece and, I think the greater message is that while you know everyone might be excited for this one-off big events that Australia and New Zealand happen to host, but it, it doesn't come every year. You know, we, yeah. we got to make sure from an advertising perspective that the investment was still flowing into the sport, and you know that goes to support the code in the long term. Yeah. I think it's it's fantastic. I'll be watching uh, on a screen somewhere, uh, but but again, if you've got a free ticket and you want to pass it along to us, uh, it's news at mumbrella.com.au. <laughs> Drop us a line. Darcy and I will be sure to uh, to appreciate it. Yeah. I'm joking, but uh, but on a serious note, go the Matildas. <laughs> Definitely. Now, coming up next, we have an interview with Michael Thompson and Sean Aoma, co-founders and presenters of popular podcast, Fear and Greed, about the business of doing business podcast. Welcome back to another Mumbrella Cast interview. Very excitingly, we have two media veterans joining us from the popular business podcast, Fear and Greed, today. Now, I, I sense that I'm going to sound, I might sound very uninteresting in today's episode, but good thing that our listeners are not here for me. So first up, we have the show's co-host, Michael Thompson, who recently just launched his book in the US as well, apparently. Welcome, Michael, and congrats on making your way over there. Thank you very much, Darcy. And also joining us today, of course, is Michael's Parning Crime and Fear and Greed's other co-host, Sean Aoma. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast, Sean. Thank you, Darcy, and thank you for calling Michael a veteran. 
You've made my day because I am a veteran. I've been in media for a long time. Michael's a lot younger than me, but you call him a veteran, which relative to you, Darcy, he, he might well be. My favourite part of that intro was the fact that, that it almost felt like, Sean, you and I have kind of even level footing on this kind of thing, but that, um, that, that you and I are in fact co-hosts when really the podcast is 90% Sean and 10% me. That's nah, obviously the best we, 10%. But All I, mean, I care is, about is we are both veterans. That's all okay. I heard. All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Sorry, Thanks, Darcy. Darcy. No, all good. <laughs> Call everyone veteran in this industry out of respect. <laughs> if you last 18 months, you automatically become a veteran. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, it's very great to have you both here on a very exciting time for Fear and Greed because just in May this year, the podcast has actually turned three years old. You know, having witnessed a lot of changes in the business world in this last turbulent couple of years. Michael and Sean, I wanted to know how you're both feeling, you know, about this milestone. Do you feel like fear and greed is where you wanted it to be after three years of operations? Well, it's still going. So that's, that's <laughs> beneficial. <laughs> true. True. Um, yeah. I mean, it's been a, everyone started a podcast in, in COVID and all these people said, don't start a podcast in COVID. And we did like everyone else. And as you would know, Darcy, podcasting can be a real slog. It's hard work and you've got to do it every single, in our case, every single day. And you've got to turn up every day. And so the fact that we have achieved three years and, you know, we have millions of downloads every year, I think 6 million downloads last, last year. I'm pretty proud of that really to be at this point. You know, it's, we have a revenue model that's working. We get on very well. So our third cohort is a guy called uh, Adam Lang. Adam, Michael and I get on very well. We enjoy each other's company. We're making, uh, we have revenue from it. We are making money from it. People are listing. The audience still growing. I'm pretty happy, Michael. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah, the fact that, because um, I think typically the, the, the standard amount of time that a podcast kind of runs is about three months. I think before people really do realize that there is a lot of work, that it's not just a case of jumping into the studio and just having a chat about whatever's going on. Um, that that if you want to kind of be a success and hopefully kind of become a part of everyday kind of routines and, and become a part of a, a, a daily listening habit, really, that you need to be doing it consistently every day and make sure that it is out every day at that same time. Or if it's a weekly podcast, that it is out every week at that same time, that kind of thing, that kind of some of those um, lessons and things that, that radio has established over a very long period of time. And I think that a lot of people kind of starting a podcast kind of get into it and you go, oh, actually, if we want to make this work and do it consistently, there is a lot of work to be done. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm glad that, that, we've kind of been able to, to stick it out and find that audience and grow that audience over that time. And also then um, to find uh, commercial partners and to work with Nova as well. Nova Entertainment uh, for the last couple of years has been fantastic. And, and it's really kind of shows the importance of having partners like that as you go through this. So very long winded answer there. And I think. Very <laughs> unlike you, Michael. To be uh, well, mine, I think mine was, if, if we go back and check the tape later, Darcy, I think you'll find that mine was fractionally shorter than Sean's. <laughs> so, so at the moment, Sean is the more verbose of the two. Mm -hmm. All right. I've, I'll make a mental note of um, editing 20 minutes out of this podcast discussion. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> thank you. Thank you both for that answer. And I wanted to come back to some of the points that you mentioned just now as well. But, you know, 
although we've had the whole discussion about calling you media veterans, I'm going to stick to that <laughs> for this episode. You know, both of you have spent quite some time in the media world before starting Fear and Greed. Michael, you were the head of content at Macquarie Media. And Sean, you've led various editorial operations at Fairfax Media in different stages. Why was podcast the medium that you sort of chose at the end to be your next venture? And, you know, what, what contributed to your decision to start a business podcast? Uh, well, our, the, the third person in our trio, Adam Lang, asked us. I think, I think it's probably as, as simple as that. I had left Fairfax. Michael had left uh, Macquarie Radio and we were doing other things. And Adam Lang came and said, why don't we do a podcast? And I hadn't really thought much about doing podcast i don't know about you michael you're an audio man so you probably had but he said let's just try it and see how it goes and it wasn't kind of like a 10-year plan let's sit down and have this massive strategy it was more like let's do this next week and see how it goes and it went from there so from my point of view at least it was just someone asked me so i jumped in and did it and i, I mean i love it it's fantastic fun and that's why we're, i'm still here michael what about you yeah, look, it it really was because Adam came along and, and this idea was, and there was a bit of a gap, we thought, in the market. And so we just thought, oh, okay. all that strategy stuff, yeah, it, yeah. It's yeah. very easy to apply strategy in hindsight, isn't it? <laughs> That's uh, right. But, but the fact is that um, that we thought uh, that, yeah, well, we will give it a go. And um, that we, we thought we had the ingredients to kind of make this make this work. Um, and as long as we kind of enjoy it, that we'll just kind of keep at it and see uh, and see how we go. So, no, I, it, it really, I wish there was kind of more to it, but the fact is that Adam just came along at exactly the right time for both of us and and put it to us that that he thought there was a, this gap in the market and that we had all all the bits and pieces that we needed to do this and to make it a success. So why not why not have a go? And we we did kind of a, a couple of weeks of kind of. Um, off-air, off-Broadway rehearsals uh, before we, we went live. Uh, and even then, do not go back and listen to the early shows because they... Um... I'd skip the first two years' worth of shows, actually, yeah, just yeah. to the more recent ones. <laughs> I, 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 suppose, I mean, I suppose we're underselling ourselves a little. What, In some ways, we're not a typical podcast because we actually sit somewhere, I think, between podcasts and uh, radio news programs. Because we're actually fairly serious and we tell news, business news. Stop laughing. Darcy, you are laughing at us <laughs> saying we're serious. That's not no, true. No, 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 continue. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there, there's sort of banter, I suppose, between Michael and I. But most of the show is about telling news. We are trying to appeal to people of a certain uh, genre uh, who want to know the news, who want to know about business. They might be business people. They may be investors. We actually want to tell them something that each day they can take to work or take home or take to their portfolio that makes a difference. So in a sense, we're probably a bit more serious than many podcasts. I think that's fair to say. And we are deliberately that way. And right from the get-go, that was the idea, right? We didn't want to take on lots of investment podcasts out there, right? Huge amount of banter. Some of it's great. Some of it's not. Whatever. That's not our cup of tea. And we don't try and compete in that area. We try and compete when people are walking in the morning. They know they've got to go to work or they're commuting to work or they're going for a run or whatever. They can listen to us for 20 minutes and get to their desk, know what's happened in the world of business and politics and economics. 
and hopefully use that to make a dollar that day. And we that has always that was right from the get go. That was the plan, and we've stuck by it. I think. Yeah, and I think is also part of that is um, Sean's background as well. Darcy is one thing that um, that we haven't mentioned before is that he actually kind of started his career as an economist at the Reserve Bank, uh, and then kind of went. Uh, from there into the media and through a number of roles to get kind of right up to the editorial director of, of Fairfax. And so kind of starting this podcast meant that we we came to it with this huge amount of credibility that was really all attached to Sean and the fact that he was able to kind of take these business stories and turn them into something that you can consume quite quickly, that you can do that in 20 minutes and you will get a dozen stories that you need to um, that you need to know about. And then we just kind of focused on, okay, we've got the credibility, we've got the guts of the story, and now we just make sure that the personality comes through. It's not kind of a laugh a minute. It, it is not kind of comedy or anything, but it is just enough personality in there uh, to make sure that it is engaging enough that you want to keep coming back day after day. And I think we've, we've managed to kind of find that balance between it because um, the, the, the subscription rate and the, the rate of, of kind of followers has continued to grow uh, over the last three years, which means that people are clearly coming back. And then we've been able to use that to launch uh, kind of the, uh, the the next podcast series that sits within the Fear and Greed Stable, which is the Fast Five by Fear and Greed. So the main show uh, is uh, Fear and Greed, goes for about kind of 20 minutes a day and also comes with a daily interview that also um, features a, a, a perhaps a CEO or an economist or a business leader uh, in that space. And then we've got the Fast Five sitting alongside that, which is five minutes and, and five stories that we cover in that time. And then we have another podcast that we've launched, which is How Do They Afford That?, which is a, a personal finance uh, podcast. But it all kind of comes back to we used Sean's credibility and his ability to kind of take a, perhaps a complex business news story, simplify it, and just tell people exactly what they need to know and information that they can actually use potentially to, to make better decisions throughout the day. And we use that as the foundation of the business and grew it from there. So mm. now I'm definitely ahead of Sean in terms of the words spoken. I oh, just figured I needed to, needed to add yeah. a little bit just to get ahead of you. And overly generous, Michael. No, <laughs> not at all. That is a that is a fair enough answer. I do feel like you know business category of all categories that there do needs to be an authoritative sort of host figure in it as well. I don't know if you guys share sort of that feelings. Oh, absolutely, credibility is key. Absolutely, in this um, that that you need to to have somebody who understands what they are, are are talking about, and I think kind of that is that is Sean's background, and and, and absolutely, it's also meant that we have become. Um, almost a, a bit of a destination podcast for guests to, to speak to as well in terms of the, the number of pitches and proposals that we kind of receive every week uh, from uh, guests wanting to appear on the, the podcast is fantastic because it means that we have access to this huge array of people coming on the show and some really fascinating uh, stories from kind of CEOs of, of big ASX listed companies right through to kind of startups and founders that are telling some really um, engaging, interesting stories of where their businesses have come from and where they hope to get to. Uh, and really a lot of that has been because um, because of Sean's name. Now I have been, I have said way too much now about, um, about Sean and look, you can actually see, if you look very closely, you can see the ego inflating before our very eyes. And it's I filling up the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I uh, hold on. This is hold on. This is unfair, Darcy. You're. I haven't said a word for about three minutes now, and now you're attacking me, guys. Uh, what 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 I would say, if you look at Alan Kohler in the ABC, he introduced graphics and he did a great job. And business is hard to understand. So, but it's really important, you know, how to make money. Whether you're going to have a successful, in, you know, career in business, whether you want to invest properly and all that. If you can just make that simple enough for my mum to understand it then we're doing our job. That is a very good quote. I think it should be on a T-shirt at some stage, definitely. (laughs) My mum nearly understands this. (laughs) It's quite a long quote. You would need a very large T-shirt to fit all of that quote on there. It might have to be front and back kind of thing. I I enjoy that. We'll we'll include that in our range of fear and greed merchandise. Maybe on my cap because my ego is growing so fast. (laughs) That's right. It could be so big you could put it on a cap. (laughs) That is fantastic. It's the full wide-brimmed hat slogan. Mm. Please, sorry, Darcy. We we have uh, we've taken over and, and speared off in in unusual directions. Oh, I'm enjoying this very much, but you know, I do wonder because you guys mentioned the format of fear and greed is that you sort of I, you sort of have a morning report and you sometimes have an afternoon report, and there will be a daily interview. What does the typical day of production look like for you guys? Because that's quite the quite a lot of uh, content to put out. <laughs> shambolic. Yeah, probably the word. And long, long is another, and long day is another uh, a good way to to describe we, it. It's we have changed a bit. Like originally, we were getting up at three thirty in the morning, and doing the morning show, and then we did the fast five, and then you would uh, in the afternoon we do the afternoon report, and it it was a really long day. And we probably did that for eighteen months or so. I'm guessing. I mean, thereabouts, eighteen months, two years, and then we thought. We actually need to do to make this sustainable, so you can actually, you know, live a life, have a family, all that sort of stuff. We will do most of the show um, the day before, so we do as much as we can the day before, and then there's stuff that happens overnight, global markets or things like that, which we add on in the morning. So we're much more, and some mornings we don't even need to do that, uh, but we, it's much more sustainable because we do a lot of the recording kind of the night before really and the interviews obviously we do in business hours because that's when people can talk to us and then we add on in the in the mornings if need be but originally those 330 starts were very rough yeah and it's and it yeah it has made it a lot more sustainable and meant then that we um can update it in the morning as as required because in the end we're doing 29 episodes across the week of the various podcasts that we have we've got the weekend edition and how do they afford that and all of those um things so it's it's made it um, yeah, more sustainable and just uh, seems to be quite a workable model. Um, and, and the afternoon report is actually, uh, Sean kind of mentioned it in, in passing there, but that that's one that I think is really actually, uh, it's found quite a, a good audience as well because it, it comes out by about 5 p.m. Uh, every afternoon. And it, it, again, just focuses on the top five stories from that day. So it is very timely. It is very current and it's very punchy. You get the whole lot in about kind of four and a half minutes um, or so, and there you go. You've kind of set for the uh, for the afternoon. You can easily fit that into any kind of commute on the way. Even if you're working from home, you can fit that in kind of walking from your home office into your lounge room, kind of thing. It's a it's um it's very very kind of convenient. And so really, we've we've kind of managed to make the production schedule work around what is a fairly significant load of work, um, and we have um, kind of some. Kind of good people working as as part of the team, and um, and 
yeah, hopefully it's made it sustainable enough to run for, for decades to come. Mm, Isn't that right, Sean? Yeah, decades, hopefully. I want those 3.30 a.m. starts again, though. That's what I miss. Well, you know what? You've said it now. It is on the record. <laughs> Set your alarm tomorrow morning, Sean. We're getting up early. Oh, excellent. That's what I'm wondering as well, because um, is the operation, are you in charge of the productions, Michael, and then Sean's hosting and then Adam looking after the operation is it just the three of you at this stage no we also uh, have a, a full-time employee by the name of luke who does a fantastic job with all of our audio um as well um who is uh, an, an absolute trying to decide whether wizard or genius is a more professional term to use but either way they both apply um because he he pulls it all um all uh, together fantastically because uh, otherwise I, we really wouldn't be able to to do it if it was um, just just us and then working with the broader Nova sales team as well and the, the broader kind of teams within Nova uh, in terms of kind of publicity and promotion and a whole bunch of kind of uh, things and Adam is really the main uh, person uh, liaising with our, our partners at, at Nova. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, it's very interesting to get some, you know, behind the scene looks of how you guys operate on a day-to-day basis. But I, I sort of wanted to move on to, the, to a bigger question about the broader category of business podcasts, because, um, Michael, you were on our panel in Mumbrella Audio Lens just a couple of months ago when we discussed mm-hmm. the state of uh, a very oversaturated podcast market and, and how you know, it's possible for titles to cut through in that market. But, you know, today, if we're discussing specifically from a business podcast point of view, what do you both think the competitive landscape look like in this particular category? I I think that we, uh, every podcaster is going to say this. So uh, keep that in mind. But our offering is slightly different because we are not just an investment podcast where you talk about, uh, kind of investing in BHP. We're also not just a podcast that a lot of very successful US podcasts take two or three stories of the day and deep dive into it. We don't do that. We basically do 12 to 15 stories a day and explain them. And in a sense, that is a little bit different, that we cover so much territory, we deliberately try and explain it in English, in plain English, and if we do that, we've done our job. We don't have the depth of a podcast that goes for 40 minutes that discusses two issues. We don't. Um, but at the same time, we certainly have a lot more depth than some investing podcasts that talk about investing in BHP or credit cards or stuff like that. So I suppose where we have confidence is that our offering is fairly unique. I mean, it's not fair to say totally unique because there's probably stuff out there I don't know that I haven't seen. But even the media groups who do business all day, they only do two stories in their podcasts a week, you know, and we're actually doing 12 or 15 a day. Do you reckon, Michael, that's a fair distinction? Yeah, yeah, I think it, I think it is. And, and the fact then that ours is very much geared towards the commute that it is designed to be consumed. It's it's available every morning from 5.30 a.m. and every afternoon then from 5 p.m. So it is designed to be there for either the, the commute or for your morning walk or whatever it is in the morning. So it's very much kind of um, 
able to be kind of consumed as part of a daily ritual. And I think as well, kind of going back to some of those things that I mentioned at the very beginning, that that we've taken the the elements that we know are important to building listener habits. And that, that kind of comes from radio in terms of that consistency of delivery, both the standard uh, of the audio and then the standard and the, the quality of the, the content itself and the consistency and the time of delivery and all of these, um, all of these bits and pieces that uh, we know are important to making sure that we're able to build an audience and sustain it. And so I think that has kind of helped set us apart and, and um, and in the end, we, we try not to look too much at kind of what other people are doing. I mean, we've got 29 podcasts a week to uh, to put out. We're kind of busy enough just kind of focusing on 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 what we have got uh, going on, and we we kind of keep an eye on on the numbers. We watch it, we watch the audience numbers, and we watch kind of what people are responding to. And so far, the the growth has been spectacular over the last kind of three years. And so, we really just kind of go, okay. That is that's reassuring to know that clearly we have found our niche, we found our gap within the within the market, and again, kind of trading on a lot of kind of Sean's um, credibility. As long as we kind of keep doing what we are doing, then hopefully we'll be able to continue to grow. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I find it interesting that you guys are saying that you have enough work to do, but at the same time, you're always putting out like these new titles. Um, uh, the uh, is that how do they afford that? The the one yeah. that, we, that yeah. So we record that one in the in the Nova Studios. Most of what we record is is recorded outside of the, the studios, and that one we is a is a weekly one recorded in the Nova Studios. That's the the personal finance uh, podcast that we do with Kenna Campbell, the founder of Sugar Mama TV. And um, yeah, and that one seems again have, have found it's uh, it is a reflection on the the cost of living crisis. It's a reflection on the fact that this is what everyone's talking about at the moment. How on earth are you going to pay your home loan? How are you going to pay rising rents and and uh, your power bills and the grocery bills and petrol and and school fees and all of these things that that um, are well structured. Uh, podcast focusing on simple ideas and and reassurance that yes you can do it and you can get through all of this and the times are tough but there is a way through um, has clearly found an audience as well which I don't even know whether that was the question but I think I just answered the Uh, question that I asked myself just then yeah that 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 is the great thing about our podcast we will just crap on about anything and (laughs) if it suits us that's what matters off we go that's right (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think the audience will be able to tell that you guys are really doing the heavy lifting in this episode today, but and I really appreciate that. But you know, for this last question, I am interested to find out, you know, just for the next steps, what sort of other commercial area on the periphery of the podcast will you guys be looking to explore? Anything that you can share at this there, point? There is, well, there's so much potential out there. For us, as we say, we put out a lot of podcasts every week. Um, if there was uh, three more of us, you could do, look at verticals. So you can do a property podcast every week, probably not every day, right? But you could do property. You could do travel podcasts. You could do leisure podcasts. Um, You can do pure economic podcasts. You can do pure politics podcasts. There's all sorts of areas we can go into. That's one area. Another thing you can always look overseas because what we do is reasonably unique. And I mean, the, the little exploration we've done of overseas, obviously English speaking markets, there's not much like us out there. 
So there's that potential as well. Um, Michael's very generous in his praise of me, but at the end of the day, right, I'm certainly replaceable. Michael is, Adam is. We can lift the model we have and do it in another vertical like property, or we could go and do it in the US or, you know, Singapore or, or somewhere like that quite easily without us three being there. Because I, I, I think underneath it all, it's actually our model that's really good. And it's replicable. Replicable. How do I say that word? Replicable. Replicable. <laughs> you were That's going it. so replicable. well, Sean. I was. Yeah. I was. <laughs> then I came up against the R word. Replicable. Anyway, you Re- can do it in other places without us. Is you what I'm really it. trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> can make it work. And that actually, I think, is where real value in our podcast is that we can actually do it in other verticals or in other geographies without us being involved. You're and, right. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like we've built it here. Yeah. We've shown that it is sustainable, and now it's a case of going, all right, we've seen that we can make this work. What next? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely look forward to, um, you know, what you guys have got cooking up next, and um, I'm sure it'll be a very interesting venture as well. I'm sure that whatever it is, we'll be talking a lot about it without anyone else being allowed to ask questions. (laughs) (laughs) That is fair enough. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much, Michael and Sean, for joining me today. And um, that's all we have time for today. But, you know, keep us in the loop of what you you have next. And, um, yeah, speak very soon. Thanks, Darcy. Thanks, Darcy. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to the Mumbrella Cast. For us a follow or subscribe. Big thanks to Michael and Sean for the interview. And of course, thank you for joining me today, Shannon. My pleasure. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.